Hey, welcome everybody to another podcast. Join my good buddy, tag team partner, and original podcast host, talk radio host, Doc. Doc, what's up, man? Don't tell me I lost you already. Is the technology working tonight? We got silence. Uh, I oh, still see, here still we go. see a connection. I don't know. I tried to play a little intro music. Did that screw it up? Uh, might have. I didn't hear anything for a minute there. Oh, well, all right. Well, anyhow, I'm here. <laughs> all right. We were a little silent there for a minute. So, all right. We're going to do a little uh, pre-election prediction but is there anything else on your mind before we get into that? Number one, the best uh, offense in college football and the most professional-looking offense uh, in college football in probably the last, I would say since USC in the early 2000s, uh, and the best offense I've ever seen from Ohio State is this edition right here this year. Yeah, if we can keep running backs healthy, we're going to be good. Uh, well, l luckily we have a few that are ready, willing, and able to step in. But just think about this. We're doing this 40 points a game without our best receiver and with the one and two running back dinged up at any given time. And the yeah. defense under a new coordinator hasn't even, you know, gelled yet. So right, this thing, yeah. this thing is going to get, this thing is going to get, um, uh, 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 I don't know what the word is, uh, hardened up <laughs> come November. And I feel sorry for, uh, Michigan. They're not going to know what's going to hit them, uh, on the banks of the only tangy coming up and, uh, Alabama and Georgia, if they're still around, they're, they're just not going to be ready for this. I mean, it's, it's not that they can't compete with it. They're just not going to be ready for it. Yeah, I think uh, in sports, a lot depends on uh, peaking at the right time. And last year, well, Georgia peaked pretty much all year except the SEC, SEC championship. But then, you know, that was their one bad game of the year. And then they got it right back at the national championship game. Uh, Georgia is going to be tough, but I think – when that, like you said, when that Ohio State defense comes together and, and gets this new scheme down, they're going to be tough. Yeah. They're going to be tough to beat late this season. Georgia and Ohio and Alabama are the only ones in the same boat with Ohio State, and all both of those teams have the talent to beat Ohio State 
but they're going to need to play a perfect game to do it, at least defensively to stop our 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 offense. Our defense, you know, it, it it says 20 points on the board, but we gave up two touchdowns. But what you really have to look at is the yards. You know, we held uh, our starters, held Michigan State's starters to virtually nothing. And everything that happened in the last three three quarters of a quarter to quarter and a half was just junk. And they had one pick six. Right. You know, Georgia's defense gave up a bunch of yards to Auburn. And Alabama um, is is the same against A&M. Now, A&M's a better opponent than Michigan State. But the point being uh, here is as the season goes along, uh check out some of those stats beneath the score line. And you will see Ohio State's defense is getting much better as the year progresses. And Georgia and Alabama's aren't uh, on the same upswing as ours, meaning we're going to pass them and our offense is untouchable. So God help them is all I can say. (laughs) Well, I'm looking forward to running up that Michigan score. They're, Michigan's number four right now, and they look tough, but they're—I don't really see the their opponents being that great. Uh, no, they're Notre- overrated. They're the, probably the biggest overrated team in the country right now. Is is Michigan, in my view? But I'll take it, right? I mean, keep on winning. Next week they play Penn State, and that's going to be a bit. I expect Penn State to win that game. So it may take a little bit of, um, you know, out of the uh, end of the year. But if Michigan can get past Penn State, then I fully expect them to be undefeated coming down to Columbus in in uh, November. But really, Ohio State wins either way. We're either right. going to face an undefeated Penn State team uh, in October or an undefeated, undefeated Michigan team in November. Now, the Michigan team will be ranked a lot higher. And we're not going to get any help for the Big Ten West in the Big Ten championship game. So it really comes down to, as far as Ohio State's resume is concerned, those two teams and your team, the Notre Dame Fighting Irish, which last I saw they were beating BYU. They call, when Notre Dame plays Miami, they call it Catholics versus convicts. When Notre <laughs> When Notre Dame plays BYU, I don't know what they call it, uh, Catholics versus the Tablets. I, I mean, I don't know what Mormons go with, but uh, <laughs> in any event, they were saying the average age of the players on BYU are is uh, 22 years of age, the average age, and 40 guys on the roster are married with kids. So, you know, oh, it's a different, yeah, it's a different thing, and God bless those people. I'm not knocking it, but uh, last I saw, you know, BYU was ranked. Ohio State beat Notre Dame. Notre Dame lost to Marshall. Uh, yeah. So two two losses on the year won't get Notre Dame into the top fifteen before the end of the year. But the more they rise, uh, the better that record will look. And it, and when you look at Georgia and who they've played, um, their biggest is Oregon. And I think Oregon's a little overrated and is overrated in order to help uh, Georgia, uh, to be honest with you. I don't know what Oregon's doing tonight. I'm not looking. 
bottom line is, you know, Ohio State needs Notre Dame to win out, uh, even beat USC. USC is going to be highly ranked. I think they're winning tonight, uh, and that'll be really good for the Buckeyes to get to that. The Ohio State's the number one team in the country. There's, nobody knows it yet in the polling world, but they need to get to um, certainly to number two. Uh, it's for it to be respected. Now, it's not going to matter in the grand scheme of things in the college football playoffs. You will not have Ohio State at number one for this simple reason. There is no way Alabama and Georgia will play in the first round. The the, right. the, the, pol- the pollsters will never allow that to happen for a lot of for a lot of reasons, primarily money and the SEC bias. But Ohio State is the number one team. I mean, Alabama looks pretty good. I don't know if Georgia's three, but they're worthy of three, at least on on paper. But that'll never play out that way. They'll never have that finish. Ohio State, Alabama, Georgia, and whoever else. It'll be it'll be Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, and somebody else. And Ohio State and Georgia play in the first round. Yeah, I think Ohio State needs to be uh, in that number two spot. How they get there, I don't know. Uh, they could stay number three all year uh, if the the committee decides that Alabama just has to be number one. But and they will, and they will. Alabama has to be number one, but Ohio State should be number one but they're not going to be because then that means Georgia, like I just said, Georgia and Alabama, they're not going to allow Georgia and Alabama to play in that first round. Right. That's the, that's the bias in the system, but Ohio state's got the best offense in college football. It's an NFL caliber offense. The defense is getting better. Georgia and Alabama are the only teams in Ohio state's way for a national title at this point in time. And we'll see what happens. So, Stepping away from college football for a minute, I agree with you totally on the, those points. Uh, the Hunter Biden incident or it, possible indictment, what do you think that does to these midterm elections, if anything? Well, I think it, at this point, it could be as simple as we know we're going down, so let's throw out the dead weight on the way to the bottom of the ocean. And while we're at it here, if all they got on this guy in four years of investigations, because we know they've been investigating this guy since 2018, this crackhead, right, uh, is tax evasion and a gun registry issue, then obviously the FBI doesn't care about what's on that laptop, and the fix is in. Now, with that said, the gun charge, you know, if Hunter Biden was an African-American in the inner city, uh, he'd be in jail already on on the gun charge. So there's obvious hypocrisy there. And people have gone to jail for a long time for failing to register or failing to, you know, be honest with your firearm registration. The tax beef we saw a bunch of Trump allies get their homes raided at five o'clock in the morning. I mean, yeah. do you expect, do you expect Hunter Biden's Malibu uh, oceanfront 
Villa to get raided at five o'clock in the morning anytime soon? I mean, oh, if heck so, no. Right. If so, I'll buy you a drink, but I, I think that I'm okay there. Uh, so, it, you know, when you take a look at the other things, the Tony Bobolunsky uh, allegations that have been re-aired on, on Tucker Carlson, which are, you know, influence peddling, bribes, kickbacks, uh, you know, not registering as a foreign lobbyist. I mean, the list goes on and on, this guy, Hunter, Hunter Biden. And and it, and it should go, uh, it should be noted in our conversation here is that this, if this conversation that we're having right now on October 8th, 2022, would have happened on October 8th, 2020, Donald Trump would still be president of the United States, notwithstanding the fraud that occurred uh, in the election in 2020. Yeah, uh, I've I've heard and seen or seen and heard polls that say like 17 percent of Biden voters across the country would have changed their vote if the Hunter Biden laptop had been made away, made known to them. But and, and that's. So, and so why is that? Why is that is because Donald Trump somehow stumbled across the fact in early 2019 or uh, 2018 that the Bidens were corrupt in Ukraine along with a lot of other powerful people and steering a bunch of U.S. and Western money towards the oligarchs. These oligarchs in Ukraine are corrupt and went to bed with a lot of evil, despicable, corrupt people within Ukraine, including not neo-Nazis, but Nazis. All right. These are hardcore. These aren't neo-Nazis. These are full-fledged Nazis. Right? These aren't the new kind. And that that's what's going on in Ukraine. There is a hugely corrupt government in Ukraine. And the oligarchs are supported by these people, and we're spreading money to the oligarchs. So where's the $60 billion or whatever we've sent over there in the last few months? Where's that money going? I guarantee you it's going to some pretty un, you know, some, some people you don't want, you, you'd rather not know at the end. It's, it's yeah. money's, actually, the money's being laundered, you know, to be honest with the audience here. And that's something we've always done you and i since april of 2009 when we started this whole thing the money's being laundered through the ukrainian government our money 60 billion dollars worth more money in five months than what we spent uh in five years in afghanistan uh in in ukraine and it's going to the ukrainian government and it's being laundered and sent out to god knows where so Back to what you're saying is why would the why did the Hunter Biden thing matter in 2020 is because Donald Trump unearthed the the scheme uh, that Western interests, including the Bidens and a lot of other people, were standing to get rich off of this puppet president in Zelensky. I mean, the whole thing over there is a mess. Putin, no one wants to emulate Russia and Putin. And Zelensky and the Ukrainian oligarchs and hit the people that back him are all corrupt. And the people that are suffering are the Russian, the 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 um, the his the traditional Russian people in the Eastern Donbass 
and the Ukrainian people outside of that writ large. The average ordinary people. That's who's suffering. Right. And everyone's losing track of that. Um, we're not going to change regimes in Russia. Putin is there. The only way we're going to change regimes is if we provoke a nuclear war. And that's suppose that's another conversation. But it seems like that's what we want to do or trying to do. This has got Vietnam written all over it, but with nuclear weapons. What's going on? And again, I know I'm skipping around, but back to your point, this makes a big deal because Trump was connecting these dots and the Democrats and everyone knew it because they're they're all in it. And not just the Democrats, but people like, you know, from the John McCain wing of the Republican Party who sent a delegation over to Ukraine uh, to depose the democratically elected president before Zelensky, uh, it was a Koroshenko or whoever, uh, may not like him, may have been Putin's guy, but he won. And we, you know, stoked the flames of a coup d'etat, John McCain and Lindsey Graham and Amy Klobuchar and others who went over there. Point of the matter being in all this conversation is Trump was connecting the dots. And there was no way Zelensky was going to unearth any kind of corruption because he is the corruption. He's the face of the corruption. But the fact that that call was on record, the fact that that got out there to some people, they panicked. And that's why Trump ultimately got impeached the first time. It had nothing to do with Russia collusion. It was the fact that he was trying to unearth, uh, you know, American corruption and payola, pay-to-play politics, 10% to the big guy. Uh, in Ukraine. So now we're having this conversation two years later under Biden as president and all the, you know, everything that we know is on a laptop, everything we know from Bobolinsky uh, points to this corrupt president that we have. And all they're coming up with is a gun charge and a tax beef. Give me a break. Yeah, this there's so much more to this than meets the eye or is coming to light, or however you want to put it. Uh, you know, the, the Biden family's way, way corrupt. Uh, the daughter was abused. I think Hunter was probably abused by the way he acts. Uh, and it, it just doesn't add up. It's just a mess and an embarrassment not to mention you know biden constantly goes on the world stage and says these ridiculous things and gets lost on stage and oh it's just it's sad it really is and why is he saying what he's saying i mean he come he's saying the quiet part out loud you know originally it was well putin can invade ukraine but just don't do it big league you know (laughs) So is that what we're in the middle of here? Is Putin, I mean, maybe he's in on it. I wouldn't doubt it. You know, maybe the scheme is America's oligarchs and foreign interests and corruption get rich, and so does Russia, and their contractors all get rich, but let's just not escalate this too far. But yet we all know what each other's red lines are. And the red line for Russia is don't F with Crimea, don't drop any bombs on eastern Ukraine, Donbass region, and don't invade our borders, and don't put NATO, uh, uh, Ukraine in NATO. 
but it seems like we're trying to poke that bear, whether or not we poke it completely. Uh, we'll, 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 time will tell, but you know, right. our red, our red lines are don't go into Odessa. Don't go into Kiev. Don't completely conquer the country. Russia's tactical army is no match for the forces that are built up through NATO defense lines, American defense lines, and other allied defense lines throughout Europe. So there's no worry that Putin would consolidate in Ukraine and then punch through like other people have done in Europe, including Hitler, uh, in Hitler's Germany in years past. Russia knows that they got a very strong military tactical, very strong, but they understand that they can't compete with all that. But what right. they do have is 6,000 nuclear-tipped missiles, okay? And that's the largest arsenal in the world. And so, you know, you got to take that into consideration. And Russia's – so in Russia's chessboard – this isn't you go here, I go here, you go here, I go here. It's you go here, I blow you up. Right? And now they're willing to take the incoming on the second wave, but are we willing to take it back? Are we willing to take it in the first place? Are we willing to do all this over this bloodland in Ukraine when it's the Ukrainian people that have the corrupt government, as sympathetic as I am to their cause? No one wants to emulate Russia and Putin, but can we please just for a minute here take a look at this and, and what this is all about, really? What this is about in Ukraine is 20 years ago when, you know, they, they got Yeltsin drunk with hookers and cocaine and all everything else, Clinton and everybody through the 90s, and they thought, hey— a little bit of buttered rum like we did with the Native Americans in this country, get everybody drunk. We're going to go in and take their land and take their wealth and run everything for everybody because we're the smart people. Well, Putin came in after Yeltsin and said, uh, I don't know. That's why Bush said, hey, I looked this guy in the eyes. I know he's a good guy. That's why Clinton went over there. Hillary went hit. It's like, oh, we're going to hit the reset button. That's why Obama was being buddy-buddy. That's why they gave all these uh, uranium uh, leases and all this preferential stuff. They were trying to butter this guy up to be a part of the globalization crowd. And Putin took a look at all of this, and at the end of the day, they said, wait a minute. I'm not going to allow my people— to be taken over, my country to be taken over. And there's a lot of reasons why he's saying it. He's not saying this because he's this great, good guy, right? Yeah, he's, no. being, he, he's being propped up by people. He's trying to consolidate power. Um, But he's looking at this and saying, I'm not going to allow you guys and your culture to come in here. You, you, you're saying men can get pregnant and have periods and women can have their breasts cut off and every in, in elementary school, and everyone thinks that that's great. We don't want this culture rot in this country. You know, you guys can't even run your own finances. You're trillions of dollars in debt. Everywhere you've gone, you've caused chaos. And we don't want any part of you. 
And so that's when the, the divorce happened in the second term of Obama. That's when the neolibs and the neocons, the neolibs said, we thought we were all going to get rich here. And the neocons said, well, hey, we thought we were going to be able to drop some bombs over here. And everyone was like, no, it's not going to happen this way. And that's when forces united and all of a sudden Russia became you know, enemy number one and not China. And China is enemy number one. And now, because of this moron in office, Russia and China are friends. India is now cozied up to them. Iran, North Korea, everybody else, because they're tired of this bullshit from the West. And our inflation and economy is horrible. Now, China's is bad, too. But Russia's sitting there going, we got food and we got energy. That beats any kind of financial or monetary power that you could possibly have. And at this point in time, I think Putin is with the upper hand. Now, do I want him to have the upper hand? No. But this isn't the old Soviet Union here. What, what's happening is the Western elite and the globalists are more pissed off that Russia refuses to be dominated. Say what you want about them. No one wants to be like them in Western democracies, or at least traditional Western democracies, where you value freedom of speech and civil liberties and civil rights and a civil society. But there are people in this country that are different than us. We have to understand this. And why do they all have to be our enemies? And why do we all have to go over war all the time because they're not with us? And the simple answer to that is, is because there's people that want to get rich off other shit. And Putin has said, you're not going to do it over here. And the elites in this country feel like he's reneged on a deal. And that's why they want him out. This Ukraine thing is all about, is it nothing to do with Zelensky or the Ukrainian people or all their struggle? This is about getting Putin out of office and hoping that somebody comes in after him that we can manipulate and then... But, but let me tell you, who comes in after him is probably going to be a communist or some real nut job. So I don't mean to go. I mean, that was about a, a little bit longer of a rant I wanted to go with. And I know we want to talk about elections and stuff, but this is a big deal. It is. Yeah. Uh, you know, at a private fundraiser a couple of days ago, Biden said that there's no way. Uh, if Russia launches a tactical nuke, that we don't end up in Armageddon, and like this is this is the first time since 1961, 62 that we've been at that point. Uh, you know, this is cr crazy times, and I think our president's fanning the flames of this. For one thing, uh, and then what else? Did, then he goes and pardons supposedly all these small-time marijuana dealers or p people possessing marijuana or whatever. Uh, what what does all this have to do with trying to hold their? grip on power in Washington for the Democrats and for Biden uh, with, okay, the 
prediction of nuclear Armageddon and release or supposedly pardoning everyone that's been brought up on federal marijuana charges. Is this well, something, a, a well, play for the election or what? Well, the only way that we get into a nuclear war with Russia is if we provoke it. I mean, if you can't see on the ground right now in Ukraine how Russia is, you know, mess, toy, I don't want to say toying or messing around, but they're they're jerking around, right? They're going here, they're going there, they're going there. And the Ukraine government is coming in and saying, well, we just conquered a bunch of territory. Yeah, it's, it's territory that Russia just left. And now they're going somewhere else, and you're getting your butt kicked over there. It's a media war for the Ukraine. Right. Okay? And you can see it. If, if Russia really wanted to go in and wipe this place out, I believe they could do it. Even with the United States, sink, you know, the CIA being tactically in charge of the Ukrainian military effort. I believe that Pipeline got shut down, blown up by, if not America directly, allied forces, and I believe the bridge to Crimea the same. All right? That doesn't make me pro-Putin. I'm just telling you what I think is going on over there. Oh, no, uh, I totally agree. And so, you know, the the all of that said, the red line for Putin is clear. If Ukraine becomes a member of NATO— you will have a nuclear war. And so we keep on pressing that. I mean, is anybody out? I mean, it's called realpolitik. You know, the, we're, this isn't how you want it to be. This is how it is. And then what's the second and third stage moves after you make your push? After you put Ukraine into NATO, which you could do tomorrow if you want to do, uh, have you thought about what happens after that? Because if you have, I don't think you understand it. All right, so if Biden wants to get up there and say we could have a nuclear war, it is only going to be if you guys provoke it. This isn't Hitler. This isn't Germany, 1930. This is a very different thing, okay? And, and it is not worth it in my book to go over there and cause World War III and a nuclear war over whether or not Ukraine is a member of NATO. This is incredible shit, right? That you would have to say it. But the reason you have to say it is because a bunch of people in power in the United States right now have corrupt deals with Ukrainian oligarchs that want nothing to do with Vladimir Putin. And they're getting paid off with at least $60 billion worth of American money, taxpayer money that we don't even have, all right? So now what does this mean for the election? Well, if you're a Democrat, you're going to dismiss high inflation, lackluster GDP growth, and negative wage growth, and everything that is wrong with the country on Vladimir Putin, because that's all you got. Right. I mean, yeah, the unemployment rate's low, but that's because people are working two jobs. The labor participation rate is still, I mean, last I saw, 
it was still historically uh, low. But people are working multiple jobs. The, the Democrats don't know what's coming to them in a month. They really don't. They are fooling themselves by thinking everyone in this country believes that abortion is such a huge thing and Dobbs is going to motivate a bunch of people to come out, yada, yada, and, you know, Kansas and whatever. No one really pays attention to economics in this country. We can all absorb a little more money. But even if you do, we're all just going to come together and say it's Putin's fault. That's their whole effing thing. And they're allowing the media to run that campaign for them. Their candidates are nowhere. Their candidates are dodging debates. I mean, yep. Mark Kelly, God bless him, debated Blake Masters the other day in Arizona and looked like a, a fool. He he looked like a mental midget. He's kind of small himself, but he looks full, like a fool. And don't get me started on Mitch McConnell and Republican money and where it's going for the Senate. But that's a race that we, it's going to be real damn close. And so you get into the nuts and bolts of this, I think he can win. But, you know, bottom line is the Democrats want it, you know, they're allowing the media to run their campaigns just like they did in 2020. That's what I was about to say. <laughs> they're, they're allowing their candidates to stay in the basement just like they did in 2020. And the Republicans are out there taking it to the streets. And they're not going to have these screwy election laws in 2022 in many places like they did before. And more people are engaged and less people want Democrats. This is going to be a bad year for the Democrats. Bad. Historically bad. And there's nothing that suggests that people are going to rally to the flag for Joe Biden and the Democrats like they did for <laughs> Bush and the Republicans in 2002 after 9-11. No. Because that's the only first term, midterm that has bucked the trend of the party in power losing seats. And in case you haven't noticed, the Democrats have a zero seat majority in the Senate and a four seat majority in the House. So even by default, assuming that the economy wasn't as bad as what it is and everything else wasn't as bad as what it is. They would still lose. But now that things are bad, the idea, well, Dobbs is going to just save the day. I mean, give me a break. You know, I tell you, there's an old saying. If you're going to piss on, if, you, if you're going to piss on my leg, don't tell me it's raining. Right. <laughs> you know, this uh, whole thing is... You know, it's back to 1992, and it's the economy, stupid. Uh, the other day, I was under the weather, and I start driving uptown. I don't know where I was going, going to meet my mom or somewhere. And I see the gas price jumped 30 cents overnight. And I'm, I, I like, stopped my car and took a picture and said, put – out there on Facebook or whatever, what what happened overnight? What did I miss? How, how did this go up 30 cents? I was literally at the gas station the night before at like 10 or 11 o'clock uh, at Sheets getting something to eat because I 
was hungry because I feel good when I have a cold. I are you getting those um, Wisconsin cheese curds? <laughs> no, I got a I got a turkey stub to my credit. Oh, I got sporting. I got a basket of those cheese curds, the big one, about two oh. years ago, and I'm still scraping that from my lungs and liver and everything else. It's, <laughs> it's still registering on my cholesterol chart. <laughs> Don't surprise me. <laughs> so. But yeah, I, I go by the gas station the next day and the, the price of gas is up. That's what the American people see and feel because that they know that 30 cent change in gas price is going to then raise everything at the store by 30 cents or so, maybe less. But, you know, things are going to go up in price. And we, we know that we're not stupid. And we know that it's the Democrats holding back uh, what we could have had, you know. Uh, All Joe Biden had to have done when he was president, became president, uh, became president, uh, was really nothing. You know, I get it. Pass a COVID bill. You, You may or may not get Republican support, but pass it. Pass a budget. And uh, do an infrastructure bill. And everything else creates study committees for it. The media is going to be your lapdog. You know, just stay out in front of some things. Don't create controversy. But Biden, being Biden, he couldn't help himself and stepped all over everything, trying to be the smartest guy in the room when he really is the dumbest. I mean, honest <laughs> to God, this guy's a stupid person. And I don't like to say that because, you know, I'm not saying people who are not uh, credentialed by an education establishment are stupid, but where I grew up and who I came from, they didn't have education credentials, and they kind of took offense to being to, to people calling other people stupid. Right. This wasn't something you did. You know, this isn't about, you know, when I was growing up in my house, you didn't call someone else stupid. You wanted to really insult someone, you called them lazy. Right. That insult. Never call someone stupid. Now, I happen to think people that that are, you know, maybe not quote unquote book smart are some of the smartest people in the planet. So when you hear me take on Biden, just know where I'm coming from. He's stupid. Okay, the man is a stupid individual. He's a plagiarist. He went to a shitty school and lied his way to get into it, and he's a corrupt, lying cheat. He doesn't know anything. And Obama even said, don't discount the ability to Joe to F things up. He said that, not me, even though I endorsed it. It might be one of the few times I've ever agreed uh, with Barack Hussein Obama. All this idiot moron had to have done after the election was handed to him on a stolen platter was to sit there and do a couple of things, ministerial things, just look like you're trying. And he would be sailing at a plus 50% approval rating. And they could have concocted their little war in Ukraine and he'd be at 60% right now. And maybe he'd be the George W. Bush of 2002. But no, that's not who he is. 
He's a moron. And the people around him are corrupt socialists that want to corrupt and tear down the country. And so here we are. They're standing at historic losses. I'm telling you. Historic. It may not be as bad as 14 or 10 or 94, or for the Republicans, it's 6 and uh, 18, but it's going to be bad. The Republicans are going to take the House of Representatives at the federal level. They are going to take the Senate at the federal level. They're going to win more than they lose in governor's races at the state level. They're going to clean house at the state house level. They currently control, the Republicans currently control 31 chambers, 31 legislatures, and have the trifecta in 26 states, governor and legislature, both houses. They're going to build on that. This is going to be 2010, 2014, 1994 at some magnitude. So if you want to get into the finer details of that, we can. I know that's what we want to talk about here in a little bit. But that's the that's where we're at right now on October the 8th, 2022. Things could certainly change. Big John, you know this as well as I do. John McCain was looking like he was going to be the 44th president of the United States at this point in 2008. Right, right. And it it didn't happen. You know, a lot, Michael Dukakis was looking like he was going to be the 41st president of the United States uh, at this point in 1988, and that didn't happen. You know, a lot of examples here. But right now, uh, this thing is looking bad. If you are in a Democrat area that voted for Joe Biden at 53, maybe even 54% or lower, and you're a Democrat, you got a problem. Now, does, that mean you're, does that mean you're all going to lose? No, I'm saying you got a problem. So let's look here at real clear politics and uh, Politico. Right now, real clear politics says there are 35 seats in a toss-up. I looked at an article a few weeks ago on Politico, and at one point they said the Republicans could pick up 60 seats And now it's down to 20 seats in the House. So the median range there is a pickup of 40. That's the middle number. Let's do an over-under. Do you think Republicans go over 40 seats in the House or stay under 40 seats? Don't have to give me an exact number, just an over-under. All right. Well, okay. Before we do that, let's look at what what are they at? Two twelve or two thirteen right now? Yeah. All right. So if it's forty seats, 
then that means they would be at 253. That would be, just to put this in perspective for everybody listening, that would be the highest number of Republicans elected to the Federal House of Representatives in over 110 years. You'd have to go back to the early 1900s before that many Republicans were in the Federal House of Representatives. Now, the Democrats, on the other hand, have had several instances where they've been at 250 and above for various reasons, because of their coalitions and things like that. In the modern day, I think the only time that the Democrats even sniffed anything like that was in Obama's first term. So that that would be just incredibly historic for the Republicans, almost unprecedented, and extremely rare for even the Democrats. So that's a big number, 250 or north. Now, I'll say this, and I'm trying to find all this stuff. Um, I'll say this. Um, the Republicans in John Boehner's last term had 243 seats, believe it or not. Yeah. That was the previous high. And that currently is the high. So the question is, if the GOP is at 213, in real clear politics right now, and that's the low bar, is saying they're at 220. Right. So they've already picked up seven. That's the majority. They're saying there's 35 toss-up seats right now, the map that I'm looking at. Yeah, if they I'm looking at all, the same thing. Okay. If they won all 35, they'd be at 255. That is the ultimate top end. So if you're telling me 250, I'm going to say lower. Not because I want to be a Debbie Downer here, but because, you know, there's going to be, you know, this is going to be a big, this is going to be a big year. And the fact that the Republicans are going to come into this and maybe only win 40 seats or, uh, you know, 40 seats, in, well, uh, 30 seats from 213, people are going to say, oh, that's not that big of a deal. But keep in mind, they won 15 in 20. And this is amazing. They won 15 in 2020. Right. So there's your 40. There's your. So they're starting at a much higher level than what they did in uh, 20 and 94 in 2010 uh, and in 2014. They're starting at a much higher. I mean, in 2010, I think the Republicans were down to like 180 seats, and they won like 72. Well, no kidding. The Democrats had a huge year in 2008, as we all know, with Obama. We had a huge year in 2020 with Donald Trump, but that's an anomaly, I suppose. So if you're, so I would say the odds are that we're going to be somewhere between. Our previous high of what was it, 243, and really high at 250. I don't think we're going over 250. But even if we get it like 248, 247, I mean, just keep in mind that's uh, 34 seats, 35, that's 40 seats in two cycles. 
Right. I think not, that's not that bad. shows where the country is. Uh, well, I'm going to go on a limb and take the over and say we pick up over 40 seats. Okay, so if we pick up – so right now, if you're using real clear politics, they're saying 35 toss-up. Okay, so minus – and they have us at 220, so minus 7. So that's 42 toss-ups. So 42 plus 213. So you're saying 255 is where we're going to end up. I think that's possible this year. All right. I'm only and about I, I'm only about seven off from you. I, I think we're going to be like in high two forties at, at at the top. I think my my logic is based on the the word on the street, how many conservative black families are switching, how many conservative Latino families are switching. Uh, we just had Myra Flores turn a over 100-year-old Democrat seat based on the border crisis in a heavily Latino district. Uh, the first, first Mexican-born female immigrant, legal immigrant, to hold a House seat was a Republican, and Nancy Pelosi tried to elbow her kid out of a photo op <laughs> and the nobody in the media is talking about this but that was historic and she was a republican but anyway well let's look at some of the i mean we're given our numbers but let's look at it specifically yeah there are uh three seats in the rio grande valley in southern texas one is by uh representative flores and the other two um are toss-ups the Republicans are going to. I believe they're going to win both of them. Yeah, I, mean, I think. I think Myra keeps her seat. She won a month or two ago, and we pick up the other two. Right. So. And, and then, and then you go to Southern Nevada. Uh, you know, there's uh, Las Vegas. A couple of toss-ups there. Let me tell you something about Nevada, from the polling that I've seen. Uh. It's going to be a sweep for Republicans in Nevada. All right. So only the most – maybe one of these four toss-ups you see in Nevada will stay with Republicans. I believe the other three will go to – or excuse me. One of these four toss-ups that you see, probably the one closest to Las Vegas, will stay with the Democrats. The other three, I believe, will go to the Republicans. Because what's going to happen in Nevada, I'm just going to let everyone know, the senator, Laxalt's going to win. He's going to defeat Cortez Matsto. That's going to happen. And it's going to be a statewide sweep for Republicans. The whole thing. Okay, so I'm telling you. Now, in Oregon, interestingly enough, out there, there's probably going to be a Republican governor of Oregon. Now, that might have a lot to do with the fact that there's this third-party candidate that's siphoning off some left-wing nuts 
but hey, I'm all for it. But there still is a little bit of a populist movement going on in Oregon. The gas, you know, you talk about gas prices. Where we're at here, Big John, the gas prices are one thing. When it's 380, 390, 420 a gallon, as high as I've seen it, how far are we really riding at a clip? You know, 20, 30 miles to get where we need to go. When you go right. out west, and you're paying what we're paying and more, and everything is spread out, and you're going 50, 60 miles to get where you need to go plus. Wait, plus? Look, these people out there in these areas in Oregon and Washington that are tossed, I mean, look, Portland and Seattle are King County. It's all screwed up. It ain't going to get any better. They're, they're, they are completely out of it. But there are areas around those places, okay, that will go populist Republican. And I think, you know, one, two, three, maybe four of those seats are toss-ups. I certainly think the Republicans can win two of them. Now, this doesn't take into account what's going on in California, what's going on in Michigan. Uh, there's one seat here in Ohio that we could pick up Marcy Kaptur's seat has been in Congress and grifting off the taxpayer for a lot of, a lot of years. There's a ton of seats over. Then you go to the East coast. There's one in Maine, two in New Hampshire, one, two, three, four in New York. I mean, I'm telling you that it, it is, it is, you know, when you say what we say about the seats, it's more than just us thinking that's the number it's looking at the regions and the districts that these seats are coming from and understanding the challenges on the ground in these districts and then how it becomes national from there. This isn't about, Oh, my Congressman brought home $4 million to pave the roads and the public library. This is groceries, gas, and God, and the country's falling apart. That's how this whole thing's. And that, so, yeah, that's why, I mean, Big John's a little bit more optimistic than I am, but the bottom line is, I think there was a lot of efforts out there to self-sabotage by the Republicans to keep this majority under 240, but I don't think there's anything they're going to be able to do about it. I think this this puppy's coming in at 245 minimum, and Big John's up there at 250 plus. Uh, God bless. I hope I hope John's right more than I am, but this is where I see things in the House. So let's look over to the Senate. There are 14 Democrat seats up for grabs. Mitch McConnell says we have a weak field of candidates. Yeah, well, he's full of shit. Can I yeah. say that? Uh, I, yes, you can say that. I, I would tend to agree. I would say the, the over-under number here is, do we pick up more or less than five seats? Or So it would be like, 55-45 in the Senate. Okay, so let's talk about 50-50. Let's, let's talk about where we're at now. We're at 
Right. And, and so the states in play are Nevada, Arizona, Colorado, Washington. Give me a minute here. Wisconsin. Georgia. North Carolina, Ohio, Pennsylvania, and New Hampshire. Ten. Ten. Now, a number of those are held by Republicans. So let's go back through this list in reverse order. Well, let's just go back through the list. I believe, based off of polling, Wisconsin and Ohio and North Carolina are going to be Republican holds guaranteed. I believe at the end of the day, the good voters of Pennsylvania are not going to elect a stroke victim. Uh, they can't put two sentences together as their United States senator. All right? So that's a hold. So those are one, two, three, four Republican holds and those are four seats the Democrats thought that they could pick up at least two, if not three or four. So then that leaves us with um, New Hampshire. That's a blue state. Georgia is a blue state. Okay, let's just talk about those two. At the moment, I don't care what they're saying about Herschel Walker. To be perfectly honest with you, I if every single Republican in the state of Georgia and in this country in a position of power and influence doesn't rally to the cause of a black man who is identifying as a conservative religious Republican saying he didn't do these allegations, then we will lose black support across the country forever if we haven't lost it already. I mean, we've already lost it for 100 years. We'll definitely lose it here. You come to this man's defense. You put this man up. You promote this man to be your voice, and then you abandon him on the pike. Think about that. Let's get real. Let's get down in real people world. you'll lose their support forever. And we know that for Republicans, the only way we're going to beat back this woke left is with working-class Americans and specifically Hispanics and African-American men. You do not let Herschel Walker wither on the vine. You rally to his defense. He is denying these allegations. I think this is a smear campaign myself, but even if it was true... And I, Big John, I think you'll agree with this. You can be saved. You can make an atonement for your sins, as egregious as they are. That's between you and God. Right. And, yeah. And so just like the Access Hollywood tape was supposed to ruin Trump, <laughs> I don't think this will ruin Herschel Walker because I think people see this for what it is. And they also know the kind of person that Raphael Warnock is. 
You want to talk about a bad guy? You want to? this guy a pastor? Right. Yeah, an abortion supporting pastor. He's he's phony. He's fake. He's a grifter. He beats his wife up, beats his girlfriends up, beats his kids up, sleeps around, and holds guns to everybody's head. Okay, that's Raphael Warnock. All right. Herschel Walker was a part of a system that exploited vulnerable poor people, specifically minorities, probably got wrapped up into some things throughout his life. And thank God, praise God, he saw the light a few years ago and is now trying to make himself a better man. Why don't we talk about that for a minute? Because we can certainly talk about that on the other side. So, you know, suck on that. We're going to win that Georgia seat. Okay. I think so too. Yeah. And we're going to win it because of the divine intervention of God and, sh- and, and, and those people down in Georgia understanding a hit job when they see it. Well, speaking of the divine intervention, you know, after that uh, first paid abortion allegation came out, he went into church and got a standing ovation in the First Baptist Church of Atlanta. And I think a lot of uh, people in that area are starting to wake up. And George has been a Republican stronghold. That uh, Those two runoff elections in 2020 were flukes. And yeah, they were, are... they, were, they were Mitch McConnell. Here's the other thing. The 2020 elections were flukes. You're right. And they were flukes because Mitch McConnell ran the effing campaigns. And he didn't understand the issues that were important to the voters in Georgia that would have put those two people as flawed as they were, as horrible as Purdue and Loeffler were over the top. I mean, Kelly Loeffler, give me a break. She's going to represent the people of Georgia. Herschel Walker is a cultural icon in yes. the Peach State. Okay, they're not going to turn their back on this guy and neither should Republicans, especially lily or lily white Republicans from the country clubs clutching their pearls like Governor Kemp, who's going to cruise to a 10 point win, notwithstanding all the problems we've had against him, who should be going down there and grabbing Herschel Walker's hand and saying, let me help you, a brother. That's what he should be saying. But this is the kind of this is the you know the the Republican Party they're afraid of their own shadow sometimes. I tell you what, if I was down there and had a ten point lead, if I was down there and had a one point lead in a dogfight for governor, I'd be grabbing Herschel Walker, saying, "Come on, man, we're going to win this together because we're on the right. same team." And I understand what it means to be persecuted and singled out for your beliefs, especially when you're going against the grain like he is, an African-American Christian male standing up for his whole self against the onslaught of the popular narrative that says you can't do that. Look what they're doing to Kanye West. They're making him out to be a mental patient because he happens to be a conservative now. I mean, we gotta, we gotta if we want to build coalitions and build victories in this country as Republicans, then we got to understand— the, this whole thing doesn't just come together at Chamber of Commerce luncheons on Thursday afternoons and golf at the country club, lovey, on Friday afternoons. You know, getting up there with your mimosas and your, uh, you know, 
uh, bloody, your bloodies. I'll give me a couple of bloodies, could you? You know, it doesn't happen like that, right? Th th these are working class people who have, who have had it a belly full of their kids coming home in purple hair with the men sitting down to pee thinking they can get pregnant and the women wanting to cut their breasts off. They're, they're tired of pronouns and misgendering and all this other stuff. This is the working class revolution of this country. The hardworking people, they've had it. This isn't about Medicaid or Medicare or Social Security or welfare benefits anymore because they're even wise enough to that bullshit. This is about the country, okay? And we're going to give you a democracy suppository hearing about, a, you want democracy? You want people turning out to the polls? You want a bunch of people participating? You're going to get a democracy suppository in one month. And, you, and, and you're not going to like it. And so all they can do is tear down people who have tried their entire lives, whether it's Herschel Walker or someone else, to make themselves better so they can present themselves before the electorate so they can help other people. Now, there you have it. Suck on that. We're going to win Georgia. We're going to win Arizona. We're going to win and sweep in Nevada, win and sweep in Arizona. Probably going to come up short in Colorado and Washington as far as the Senate races go. So I think the number the magic number, the over and over number in the Senate is 52. And it's going to come down to whether or not we can win in Georgia and in New Hampshire. Because we're going to win in Nevada. We're going to win it in Arizona. That takes us to 52. We could get to 54. And I want everyone to think about that for a minute. If we get to 54 right now, we should be at like 58 if it wasn't for Mitch McConnell. <laughs> yeah. But let's just say we get to 54. Has anyone taken the time yet to look at the electoral map in 2024, especially if Donald Trump is the nominee? You're talking 60. You're, you're talking 60 minimum. You're talking 60 minimum. That means Trump comes in for his third term with a with a filibuster proof Senate and a really damn good majority in the House of 245 to 250. And I'm gonna tell you, shit will get done. Oh, glory days, glory days. Yes, indeed. The stuff I will, will get done. Yeah, I will agree with you and say in the Senate we're between fifty and fifty-four. On that one, and I do think we'll win this Georgia seat with uh, with eighty four million dollars coming into the Warnock campaign from California, and boom, real clear politics is picking Warnock to win, even though Walker is only behind by like three point eight percent. Yeah, Warnock is plus 3.8. But I think if any Republican is within 
then in this case with Herschel Walker, we'll round Warnock up to four. I think Walker wins by one or two percent minimum, maybe five. Well, okay. That's how so, big this I think the swing is gonna be. That's how big I think the polls are off this year. Well, there's a lot you can look into with where the numbers are. First off, Fox five insider advantage. You know, I'm sorry, a margin of error of four. You know, look, if you look at a poll, you want that margin of error to be around three percent. Right. All right. Your margin of error is at four point two and that means they're tweaking the partisan shit. I want to know, okay, you're telling me you did a poll October the 4th, one day, right? One day, October the 4th. You didn't go over two days or three days, which you typically do to kind of see if you can, you know, detect a trend and then adjust your weights in the polling process. You did it all in one day, and you got 550 likely voters, and your margin of error is 4.2%. Well, guess what? That's still within the margin of error for Herschel Walker. Yeah. So I don't even want to say what I'm about to say on your broadcast. Go ahead. Go for it. It's no, it's no good. The poll is no good. Uh, WXIA TV survey USA uh, over a larger period of time with a larger sample of likely voters, but a pretty high uh, margin of error at 3.7. You're telling me you're giving Raphael Warnack a 12-point lead? That's like ABC News and Biden plus 17 in Wisconsin. <laughs> no one has produced a Warnock plus. That is a, that's a fake poll. That's yeah, a fake, I... po- fake poll to go along with this fake story of Herschel Walker. You know, I'm going to tell you, let me tell you something else. Y'all remember, and I'm going to get, okay, there's my Southern twang because I'm about ready to talk about Alabama. Y'all remember Alabama several years ago with Roy Moore? Yeah. Okay. This weirdo, he's a weirdo, but this guy, they said he was sniffing on girls hair in the mall and trying to pick up girls. Kind of like Joe Biden. Right. <laughs> Sniff hair, pick up girls at malls and all this other stuff. Do you know that what was it a month ago? He was cleared of all of those allegations. Does anyone reported that? Of course not. Roy Moore would have been a senator in Alabama and a vote against everything you know, Doug Jones voted for. But Mitch McConnell didn't like him, and they, no doubt about it, a self-sabotage hit job to take Roy Moore out. Now, I'm not saying Roy Moore was number one on my list. But think about that. And is it any different than what you're hearing from Herschel Walker? allegations right now he's denying them and i've one thing i do is if you're a man of god and profess your faith and you deny an allegation against you if for me you get the benefit of the doubt and i believe that the good people of georgia are going to do the same and so i I say all that to put this all in perspective because you know we have short-term memories in this country 
But Roy Moore has been cleared. I just want everyone out there to know. You may not like him. You may be glad he lost. But those allegations against him were political hit Pete's, and he has been cleared. Warnock is not up by 12 over Herschel Walker. All right. No way. No That's way the... in hell. I mean, every one of these polls has two plus two plus three plus four. How is and, one skew that far? And you're not going to go into the polling booth as a pissed off independent, which that number is what's going to sink or swim this election and vote for Brian Kemp and then turn around and vote for Raphael Warnock for United States Senate when you don't approve of the job that Joe Biden's doing by in Georgia, 30 to 70 percent. Now, can someone, you know, what, what did John, we grew up in the same part of Ohio. We used to have this congressman, kind of a funny guy, a kooky guy, hard worker, average ordinary dude, kind of got into some trouble, but whatever. He used to say this thing, Mr. Speaker, beam me up. <laughs> yeah. Jim Trappian, you're telling me that in a state with Biden's approval at 30%, disapproval 60, you're going to go in there and vote for Brian Kemp and then Raphael Warnock? Mr. Uh, Speaker, beam me up. Yeah. I'll be jumping on the next UFO out of town if that guy wins Georgia. No, he's not. He's not going to. And it could be close, but who cares? You know, who wins? Yeah, as long as, you know, a couple hundred thousand votes don't come in at 2 a.m., I think we're okay. Right, uh, yeah. There's, well, luckily there won't be a mail-in ballots like they were uh, because Georgia actually passed, thanks to Brian Kemp, okay, credit there, uh, some election reform that will probably help this whole situation out. Did I lose you? No, I'm still here. Okay. Uh, Yeah, I think, so we both agree Republicans pick up the Senate by a couple seats at least. I'm saying 54 at the high, 53, and in the the House, I'm saying just shy of their all, 245. I don't think they're going to get to 250. So somewhere 245, 250. Senate, 53-54. Okay. The, the, the New Hampshire Senate seat is really uh, fascinating because of the situation on the ground. The, the current senator uh, that's up for re-election, um, uh, Hasselman, is not popular, but the Republicans nominated a pretty hardcore right-winger a great military guy with a, with an awesome record, uh, but has some challenges in not the most conservative state in the union, but in terms of new England, it's pretty conservative. Right. Um, so we'll see how this way that that's going to be, it's like the, the Michigan governor, everything in Michigan, um, the New Hampshire Senate seat, to a degree, the Washington and Colorado Senate seat, uh, maybe the new Mexico governor's race, that will all be about wave, how big the wave is. 
And I'll tell you another one, people are overlooking this, the New York governor's race. A lot of people are sleeping on Lee Zeldin. Some of the more accurate pollsters are coming out and they're saying, look, Zeldin is within two or three points margin of error of Hochul. And yeah. you've, got, you've got crime, you've got a lot of other issues in New York going against Hochul. That attorney general in New York, she's down by one or two. That's a Democrat that's going after Trump. She could very well. The, the attorney general in, in Minnesota, Keith Ellison, he's losing. There's other little state races here we're not paying attention to. These are all going to be about the wave and how big it is. The, the biggest disappointment of election night a month from today, or close to it, will be the Michigan governor's race. And I believe Gretchen Whitmer is going to hang on. I believe that incompetent attorney general is going to hang I believe all, every, everyone at the state level that's a Democrat is going to hang on, but everyone that's a Republican at the legislative level will hang on. But they're really going to miss an opportunity in Michigan to take out Whitmer and that kooky secretary of state and that kooky attorney general, uh, the attorney general who who wants to indoctrinate school age kids with LGBTQ stuff and thinks it's all great, you know, and is suing her opponent, uh, you know, because she's afraid she's going to lose. That will be the biggest disappointment. Michigan, and it's not that it's not surprising that Michigan would be a disappointment, but I think they're going to be the disappointment of the evening. Everything else, I think, is going to be fine. I think the Republican governor, you know, in Ohio, Mike DeWine is going to win by at least 10. Uh, I think Mastriano is going to be able to sneak it out in Pennsylvania. That would be huge. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he lost, but I think he's going to win. Uh, the governor in uh, uh, Wisconsin is going to lose. I think the governor that's a Democrat, the Democrat governor in Minnesota is going to be real close. That would be like disappointing, but behind Michigan, disappointing. Uh, everywhere else is going to be fine for Republicans. The Kansas governor for Republicans could be kind of close, but Kansas has always been kind of weird uh, in, for that particular thing. But Michigan Republicans are screwed up as anywhere else in the country. They are screwed up, and they are going to let this wicked woman win four more years because they, you know, I believe that's what's going to happen. I hope I'm wrong. But again, it's about the wave. How what, what kind of campaign are you running? How good of a campaign you're running, regardless of what would happen in a normal year, this isn't a normal year. This is going to be, like you said earlier, an R plus, you know, four, five, six, seven, or more. If it gets to that six or seven, everybody wins. If it's five or four, those disappointments that I just mentioned are probably going to be disappointments. But we're still going to win a ton of seats and have a great night in November. Yeah, I think uh, it's going to be a really good night. I think no matter what we do, <laughs> the the media is going <laughs> to downplay this and say, well, they could have picked up 60 seats, but they only picked up 59. That's a 
moral victory for Joe yeah, Biden. Disappointment, yeah, disappointment. You know, uh, one Trump mega candidate you know, a, out a moral, of moral a moral victory for Joe Biden is waking up in the morning and not needing to change. <laughs> right, or not not shitting yourself in front of the Pope, or knowing uh, where you're at at noon. Right. So another uh, close seat, one where the Democrats have dumped a ton of money is Pennsylvania. And something else here, credit to the Senate Republican Committee for throwing about 30 million into Ohio, Pennsylvania and Georgia to help these three MAGA candidates. But Dr. Oz versus this John Fetterman. This Fetterman, I finally saw him in a suit and tie. He looks like fucking Bull from Night Court. You remember that show? That was the first thing that came to my mind. Uh, and he talks about using the bully pulpit of the lieutenant governorship. However, the a AP News took a look at his lieutenant governor schedule and it's very empty even on the days when he's supposed to be presiding over the state senate but they've done everything including throwing the kitchen sink at dr oz and i think if you don't vote for dr oz you're a fool fetterman's gonna lose he's tanking uh, he's tanking uh not as quickly but he's going to tank as bad as Tim Ryan is going to tank in Ohio. He's a phony. He's a fake. And not only that, he's a mental defect because he had a stroke and he should not be in this race. He is not competent to serve as a Senator in any state across the country, anywhere in any office. He probably should resign as Lieutenant governor. I've seen this poor man speak. I don't know who's putting him up to this, but he's having a hell of a hard time. He has dodged at least two debates with Dr. Yes. Oz, because he is not medically and mentally fit to participate in a debate for an office that he's going to stand election for here in a few weeks. And he is only going to debate him one time, and it's going to be at the end of October, a month after people in Pennsylvania have been voting. And he's going to have a teleprompter with closed captioned uh, on it so he can decipher what Oz is saying because he's not audible. He can't concentrate on things without seeing the words. You want to vote for that kind of guy? Now, you can go this other way, too, and say, here's another trust fund spoiled brat. It's like the governor of Illinois, Pritzker. This dude should not win. He's going to win, I believe. I mean, I don't think there's a wave big enough that can ride in Darren Bailey in Illinois, but maybe he'll make it close. Seen crazier things. Pritzker is a fat, spoiled, rotten, trust fund baby that is no good. And even Democrats don't like him, but they just don't want Republicans to win right now. Fetterman's the same thing. What has this guy ever done in his life? But yet he owns, what, a house, multiple homes? He's had a lot of uh, repairs done to his home when he was mayor of this town near Pittsburgh. How did he get the money for that? Where did all that work come from? This yeah, guy's he was... a spoiled, rotten brat, and then he comes up here in his little hoodie uh, and tells us all how bad we are and how we got to, you know, let all these criminals out 
and and we're supposed to sit there and say, well, we can't vote for Doctor Oz because he's from you know Philadelphia or New Jersey or something. Right. He owns multiple houses, but yeah, Fetterman. I looked him up a little bit. He went to Harvard, and we all know what Harvard did to the Unabomber's brain. Uh, so now everybody goes to Harvard, comes out, you know, a, a genius. Uh, then Fetterman got this job with AmeriCorps, you know, where they send you around to do goodwill projects. And Fetterman, get... Fetterman went to Harvard? Yeah, it's what I read in one of his bios. Uh, okay. It was uh, Ballotpedia. And uh, he came back to Braddock, that, PA. That's like via... Sherrod Brown who went to Yale. You'd never know it, right? Oh, hell no. I would... I didn't even know he went to college. I thought he went straight to politics. Well, he, he went, he, he, he went, he, his, see, th this is the thing. This is what you're talking about. Fetterman and Sherrod Brown's is the same P, the same P from the same pod. These are people that are, that feel guilty about the fact that they grew up with money and privilege. Sherrod Brown is a parent of doctors, physicians, grew with a lot of money and went to Yale. And all of a sudden now he's, you know, Mr. Blue Collar from Lorraine. Mm -hmm. Fetterman, the same thing. You know, this guy's a trust fund baby, goes to Harvard from what you're telling me. And now right. all of a sudden starts wearing hoodies everywhere saying that he's hip, you know, he's down with the struggle. Uh, yeah, they criticize his tattoos and Fetterman alleges that he gets a tattoo every time someone in Pennsylvania gets shot. Uh, I hate to break this to him, but there are shootings every day on the streets of Philadelphia. Yeah. Does Philadelphia not count? <laughs> yeah, he'd be covered head, bald head to toe if he did every shooting. But Tucker Carlson called his tattoos fake, so he had to put an op-ed in the papers and make a make up a a liberal reason. He's so hardcore and so street that he gets tattoos when people get shot. Uh, it's ridiculous. No, well, isn't that but, nice of him? Yeah, that's really helping the cause. That's, that's like putting on the AIDS ribbon for the walk. You know, wear the ribbon. <laughs> I don't want to wear the ribbon, but you got to wear the ribbon. You must wear the ribbon. Yeah, wear the ribbon. You know, put on whatever ribbon. It's like uh, social media. You know, put the Ukraine flag in your social media profile and your pronoun and you can say whatever you want. Right. So yeah, Fetterman, he turned supposed claim to fame as he turned uh, the village or city of Braddock around by opening uh, trendy cafes and art galleries for kids on their broken down main street. Uh, but from what you're telling me, he had a lot of connections. This is a sub rich suburb of Pittsburgh. And yeah, maybe their main street ain't what it used to be, but I think their pocketbooks still are. Yeah, Fetterman, Fetterman is Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez without the juicy Latina ass. That's <laughs> John Fetterman. He's a character. He's phony. He's fake. And the fact that this guy uh, was able to become lieutenant governor, president of the Senate in 
the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania is is an embarrassment. If he becomes a United States senator, I mean, you might as well just sublet the whole entire lot out right. to these crazies because that that would be there's no way the good people of Pennsylvania are going to vote for this clown who is a clown but also a mental defect clown at that. Well, hopefully this uh October 25th debate uh shows enough that the last few people that haven't voted yet, especially the independents, see through this and go, all right, we got to vote in Dr. Oz. Dr. Oz, he was, he's another one of these guys kind of like Trump. He, you know, they haven't attacked him on racism yet, but they can't because he's Muslim. Uh, Oz helped a lot of people with that TV show of his, he is a, he was a friend of Oprah Winfrey. Don't hold that against him. Cause I'm sure she's disowned him. Like she disowned Donald Trump after they were friends for years. Exactly. Uh, you know, but Oz helps people, you know, he gives you, instead of being a doctor that throws prescriptions around, he tries to say, look, this is the food you eat. If you want to clear out your system, this is the uh, vitamin you take if you want to avoid a heart attack. Uh, you know, things like that. Natural solutions. He challenged Dr. Fauci to a debate. And I think he's pro- Oz is probably one of the reasons Fauci is resigning because he doesn't want to get called before a Senate committee and have to face off with a real doctor. Well, I mean, there's no way Fauci showed up to that debate. But could you imagine... Uh... Yo, well, Fauci's out. I'm surprised he lasted this long. Fauci's out because he's a crook and is a murderer because of his bad advice, in my opinion. Uh, but could you imagine him sitting at the same committee with Oz and Dr. Ra- Dr. Oz and Dr. Rand Paul? Uh, <laughs> he's just getting and, obliterated. And getting obliterated and maybe even toss in J.D. Vance, you know, Blake Masters. Eric Schmidt. I mean, this gonna be, it would it would be. There's no way this guy got rich. This this Fauci made a ton of money, millions of dollars. I want everyone out there to look at this. You, you want to know why the Democrats are going to take a bath here in a month? It's because they promote and defend and protect guys like Anthony Fauci, who sold us all a bunch of BS in the last two years and scared everyone half to death and pressured people to take something that they shouldn't have taken and didn't have to take in many cases. And a lot of people got sick because of it. And a lot of people died because of it. And we couldn't talk about any of it, but even more people, nothing happened to them, but yet they still got sick again. He made millions of dollars. He gets protected. The dude literally made millions of dollars in the last two years as a government employee on top of his already number one salary in the federal government. Well, now, you want to know you, th- you want to know why people have had it. That's it right there. And to clear up for people, when we say he's made millions of dollars, the prescription drug companies uh, put his name and other people's names at the FDA, the uh, N. NIAH, whatever group Fauci heads, 
they put these bureaucrats names on patents so they can kick back money to people like dr fauci it's it's there in black and white it's a ponzi scheme yeah and a lot of these people fauci's pretty old but a lot of these guys at the fda after they leave there they get multi-million dollar jobs guys and girls guys was kind of a broader term people happens in the military when all these generals that get us involved in overseas catastrophes and calamities when they leave military service they go and all of a sudden they find themselves as consultants or they're on the boards of directors of all these military uh contracting companies making millions Mm -hmm. of dollars yeah use they they take technology and things that were developed for the military and then put it into private use uh but that's a whole nother thing uh Last, this isn't the last thing, but in the Senate, I think we're both on J.D. Vance pretty good here in Ohio. What do you, how much do you think he wins by? Okay, good question. So um, Mike DeWine, let's start here, is is running for re-election for governor. Mm -hmm. Two years ago, ago, I would have said there's no way this guy's going to even win the primary, let alone re-election, because of what he pulled in the state. But... Because the Republicans couldn't come up with a credible alternative to this guy. Uh, I mean, what they put up against, I mean, and I'll say this, Mike DeWine is a legend in Ohio politics. He is a pillar, one of the most successful politicians and overall good guy there is. But he left yeah. himself really vulnerable after the way that he finished COVID, not how he started COVID, but how he finished COVID. Exactly. And, and he really left himself vulnerable. This is a a good man, a Christian man, a family man, uh, someone who's done a lot of good for the state of Ohio. Yeah, let's but, uh, back up to the beginning of his career. He became a county prosecutor because his daughter was killed in a DUI and he didn't think uh, he didn't think that DUI uh, charges were being prosecuted hard enough. And then when the laws weren't good enough, he ran for state legislature and made it stricter on DUIs. So this is a guy that he's got a lot of kids and a lot of grandkids and we both met him and know him pretty well. It, it, he's right. He's just a hell of a nice person. We don't have hell to agree. Hell of a nice person. Hell of a he's, nice person. Right. He's twenty percent, ten percent. We disagree with, but that don't make him our ten percent enemy. Right. You know. He's a, he's a good. He's a good and decent public servant. And like a lot of good and decent public servants, you find yourself on the wrong side of popular opinion from time to time. And Mike Dewine has. Mike Dewine found himself on the wrong side of popular opinion uh, when he ran for Senate the first time, found himself on the wrong side of popular opinion when he ran for Senate the third time against the Sherrod Brown. And I thought maybe the way that this was shaping up, uh, how he finished the COVID thing that he had lost, but, you know, his druthers, 
Bottom line is the Demo the Democrats are so incompetent in the state of Ohio. I mean, I'm telling you, they could screw up a two-car funeral. This is the has to be the worst state-run Democrat party in any large state there is. I mean, first off, Ohio is no longer a competitive state for Democrats, partially because of the incompetence of their state Democrat party, but mostly because of the Trump dynamic, the shifting dynamic of uh, rural and urban voters to the Republican Party, notwithstanding the suburban whatever going in some crazy woke direction. This is a this is a solid red state, you know, unless somebody screws it up. So uh, what looked like a Mike DeWine, you know, fillet, politically speaking, the guy is an unbelievable politician and had some uh, bad opponents. Jim Renacci could very well be the worst Republican statewide candidate of all time in the state of Ohio. Hmm. This guy dropped the two biggest elections with the backing or somewhat backing of the ascendancy of the party, the base. And couldn't seal the deal against very unpopular people in Sherrod Brown and in Mike DeWine. Jim Renacci is yesterday's news. Jim Renacci is bad laundry. Jim Renacci is trash, and politically speaking, that should have been taken out a long time ago. He's a he's a huckster. He is a complete and total toolbox. Is my is my opinion clear on this guy? Okay. Uh, I think so. Okay. I do agree. He's pretty scummy. So I say all this because we got to get back. Your question was, is how's J.D. Vance going to do? Mike DeWine is going to win re-election by at least 12 points in Ohio. At least 12 points, which means no fewer than 55% of the vote and more than likely is going to be at 60%. Okay? The Democrats have put up zero opposition to this guy zero and i don't blame him for not one i think they're going to sit down at some endorsement debate for the cleveland plain dealer but there's not going to be a formal debate and there shouldn't be because the democrat is not a credible candidate so what does that mean for jd vance jd vance has in my view a a a different base, not completely, but a different base than DeWine, but one that isn't as encompassing as DeWine. So I don't expect Vance to outduel DeWine. So, and, and keep in mind, in 2018, Mike DeWine won the governor's race as the lowest polling Republican. All right. That was the closest race. He had the least amount of votes and percentage of votes than any other state. It's very rare in Ohio for the governor to run behind everyone else. I think that's going to happen to J.D. Vance this time for much of the same reasons that it happened to Mike DeWine in 2018, and that is all the money and all the attentions on him, negative attention. Long-term, I think J.D. Vance is going to end up being the most popular Republican politician in the state and very well could be something a lot bigger 
than the United States Senator. And there isn't a whole lot bigger than that, so you know where I'm going with it. Right, I hear you. So I think Vance is in that 8 to 10, and I think DeWine is in that 12 to 15. Nice. Yeah, you told me a couple months ago, 9%. uh, And right now, Real Clear Politics has Vance at plus 1%. But Trafalgar, who's a pretty accurate group, has pretty accurate. Vance. P- p- pretty accurate. Trafalgar is the most accurate. <laughs> they have him up by the most, which is plus five. Uh, and uh, uh, Tim Ryan, who votes with Nancy Pelosi, uh, who's trying to now distance himself, uh, he's raised a lot of money. But this is another race that the Senate Republican fund has dumped thirty million or thirty-four million into. But everything didn't I'm seeing Tim is kind of advanced. Didn't Tim Ryan lose his home county in his last re-election uh, in 2020 against uh, a real tough lady, Christina Hagan? Did he, didn't he lose? I mean, the first yeah. time Christina Hagan was even on the ballot in Trumbull County, he lost to her in Trumbull County. Yeah, that's uh, 100. And that's a county that Trump flipped to us. And I think that, you know, Vance gets that little Trump bump and we see him go ahead. Yeah, what you're saying, about 10%, uh, 8% at the least. So we're in agreement there. Uh, Let's talk about something a little more lighthearted, the Alaska congressional seat and Sarah Palin. I want her to win just so it's another Republican pickup. But what do you think about her and this crazy runoff stuff they've got in Alaska? I haven't followed this race for about a month or so, but... Where does Sarah Palin end up? I think Sarah Palin loses. And the reason she loses is because of the system that they have in Alaska called ranked choice voting. Yeah. And in the the simplest way of describing ranked choice voting, it is a runoff election without having the runoff election. So what does that mean? Uh, You go into the voting booth and you vote for your first preference. And then you turn around and vote for your second preference or however, however many people are on the ballot. And the votes are then cast. And if no one wins 50% of the vote, then the last place or the several last place people are eliminated. And their second, and the people who voted for those people those people's second votes then get redistributed to everyone else that's still left, and then they rerun the votes again. Now, this is clearly unconstitutional and really stupid, but this is what some people do. And what it does is it, it, it uh, you know, it screws conservatives, basically. And, yeah. and so, and it screwed Sarah Palin. In the special election, 
in Alaska earlier this year where the Republican, whether it's her or Begich, received 60% of the vote, but yet the Democrat ends up winning. The, the person that at the end of the day got 40% of the vote ends up winning the election because a bunch of second-place votes from Begich and other candidates went to the Democrat. It makes zero sense that anyone would ever do anything. Now, it could also screw Democrats over in in Democrat states, but this is a Republican in Republican states, what we're talking about here, right? The, the, it, the point is it's a screwy way of doing things, and it's unconstitutional. So, you know, what's going to happen is, you know, there are also, I will say this. There are also some people who are saying that Lisa Murkowski is in a lot more trouble than what it appears that she is. And she's the rhino senator who voted to convict Donald Trump in the impeachment. And she's worthless as tits on a board. And the, a challenger to her is very strong. Lisa Chewbacca is very strong and credible and would be the kind of person that Alaskans, by and large, writ large, would be for. And so would Sarah Palin, by the way. But, the, but, but here's the deal. In Alaska, it is all crooked crony establishment money because of all the oil money that goes up there. A right. bunch of the, a bunch of all this shit has been laid. This foundation has been laid, whether it's the Stevenses or uh, the Murkowskis or anyone else up there, the Begiches, they're all corrupt. They're all on the take for special interests. And Sarah Palin broke that up. Uh, and Lisa Chewbacca is trying to break it up. It is a corrupt. You want to talk about one party Republican states that are corrupt? That's Alaska. Actually, you know, the interesting thing in Alaska is the Alaska House of Representatives is controlled by Democrats because of a power sharing agreement. And that's how they got this cockamamie uh, ranked choice voting through. Lisa Murkowski and a bunch of squish Republicans decided. Yeah, let's do this. This will be great. Well, they thought it would be great for them because it would prevent a bunch of, you know, MAGA Republicans from coming in and cleaning the place up. Well, you know, that's why Sarah Palin lost. And I think that's why she's going to lose again is because, you know, Republicans haven't figured this out. This isn't like a scheme. Like this isn't like a trick. It's just a shitty way to vote. You know, if you want to have a runoff election, then fucking have the runoff election. Don't tell people to come in here and vote. Oh, what's well, your first choice, your second choice? No, just have the runoff election if that's what you want to do. But but but, 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 will, but will Republicans figure out that I'm going in there to vote not for Sarah Palin, but I'm going to vote for somebody else? But who's your second choice? Well, I don't want to fill in a second choice. Or I just really hate Sarah Palin, so my second choice is going to be the Democrat, who I disagree with even more. That's the problem. And I don't know if that mindset can be fixed quick enough in Alaska with enough people to figure this shit out. It shouldn't even have. It's going to cost us a congressional seat in Alaska. I'm telling you, Sarah Palin is not going to win, is my opinion. I hope she does. She should have won before, 
hopefully the Alaska Republicans figure this out of how to vote in this silly ranked choice thing and then get rid of it. Yeah, this is, uh, when I looked at this, I said, this is the worst way to do a vote that you could possibly come up with. I mean, imagine, imagine, imagine someone who finishes and, you know, there's four people running and someone finishes with 10% of the vote. All of their votes for second place go to the person that is not within the majority in an overwhelming way, then that could be enough in a close second round election to put that person over the top. When that was never their intent to vote for that person to begin with. (laughs) I mean, how does Alaska have a Democrat federal representative right now when 60% of the people in Alaska voted against her. Someone to make, if you could make sense of that for me, then uh, maybe I'll buy it. But uh, telling you, you got a long way to go because I, I mean, that is bizarre to be nice about it. Yeah, this, it is bizarre. And I think it's, a trick that the Democrats have, well, establishment oh, Republicans. But it, works, it works in both. It works both. I just want everyone to know, John, it works both ways. Yeah, this I was going to say establishment Republicans and Democrats like this because it gives them a better chance of getting their person in and keeping an outsider out. Right. Right. It's just It's just like the way that the South used to run open primaries with a runoff. They, they 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 wanted their segregationists who could, you know, win enough votes to get to a runoff and then win the runoff, but not elect a Republican. Right. I mean, it's, 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 it's what, it's what California has done. It's what one party dominated areas do to consolidate power around the base that controls the apparatus, whether that base is right center or left, this mode of voting favors the people who control the levers of power. It's just how it is. And, and what we should have in this country is closed primaries, best man wins. And then they go on to the general election, best woman wins, best person wins. This idea that we have open primaries, semi-open primaries, uh, nonpartisan primaries, jungle primaries, Take the top two. You get two Democrats then in the general. I mean, there is partisanship is the single greatest and always has been and always will be. Even in the age of Trump, where we have sort of lost our partisan affiliations, it seems, when we're just looking at what's going on, which I would kind of like to be more that way. But partisan affiliation is the single greatest controlling factor of how you're going to vote than anything else. Always has been, always will be. I am a Republican. I'm going to vote for the Republican. 
That happens 90% of the time, minimum. More than likely, 93, 94, 95% of the time. Just because they're a Republican or just because they're a Democrat. And the idea that we could fool around with the electoral system to, to, to manipulate that in some way or another, I think is an affront to the voter and to the American and, and to the average American that goes in to vote and wants a, wants not only their vote, their collective vote to reflect the winner in some way, shape, or form, but wants their vote to matter. I'm not a big partisan person. But I think you're trying to undercut what drives people to vote and manipulate it in a way that undercuts democracy. And when you have a woman in Congress that got 40% of the vote against 60%, it's one thing to get 40% and the other guy got 35, but to get 40% and the other side got 60 and you still win? Zero cents. Right. Let's take a look at the squad for one last discussion. You've got Cortez, Omar, Tlaib, Ayanna Presley, Jamal Brown, and Corey Bush. Do you think any of them are in trouble? Or are they so blue they get, get through on party name? Well, I mean, I thought Tlaib would be in the most trouble because – not that it would be uh, a blue versus a red district, but I thought that the the blue in Michigan rearranged themselves enough in their districts to make life uh, difficult for her, but she won going away. Uh, Omar would be the next uh, person that I think on that level could be um, subject to a defeat, but not by a Republican. You I think mean, it has to be a primary for them to lose? Right. The, the Republicans in Minnesota would have to control the drawing of the lines at the right time for her to lose. So I think she's good for another eight years. Unless she really, I mean, she's already screwed up, but she just wins. Uh, I I don't know the dynamic for Presley in Massachusetts outside of it's just such a blue state that it's all about the primary. Alexandria Ocasio Cortez is a star. She's not going anywhere. She is an attractive female who is articulate, who has one hell of a story. Okay. You could disagree with how she tells it and her take on it, but that is a working class story that resonates with a lot of people. That is her district. She ain't going anywhere. That woman will win. She earned that win and she will continue to win. And the only question is when she decides to go up the food chain, <laughs> You know, whether it's senator or governor, will she be able to pull that off? How how strong is her support beyond this grassroots base that she has? 
as far as the other one uh, in Missouri, Corey Brown or something, I think you said. I think yeah, that's Corey the woman, Brown. The, the woman from Missouri that comes from the Michael Brown area, <laughs> the, you know, hands up, don't shoot. Uh, I, I don't know enough about that person uh, or the district to say a whole lot outside of it might be closer to AOC than anybody else. Talib and Omar are anomalies to me that are just there because their party controls the apparatus. Presley and Brown, not really sure, but AOC is for real. They will never screw that. If they screw her over, like they screwed Nadler and Maloney over in New York, mm -hmm. people's heads will roll. Yeah, I well, I know AOC won't lose until she tries to move up. I think she may somewhere someday be a vice president candidate. Uh, if you watch the goofball, uh, the guy that took over from Dave Letterman, he thinks she should run for president in 2024. Or maybe that's just what he was saying because she was there. Uh, I don't know if you turn 35 a month before the election, if you can run for president. Though. As long as you're 35 before the Electoral College votes on you in mm -hmm. January, you can run for president. Oh, fuck. Uh, but uh, she wouldn't win nationally. <laughs> She's not the kind of person that can win nationally. I think her approval rating overall with the nation is very, very low. Uh, I mean, and she, might, York... she she might be kind of fake and scripted, like I think you've hinted to in the past. But the bottom line is, it resonates. Well, even you know you, something. Even if funny. you accept that, yeah, it does resonate with a certain group of people. Uh, if every Republican in her district came out and voted, though, she would lose based on voter turnout. The voter turnout's kind of low in that district, but if every Republican voted, she would lose. It would have to be 100% of Republican turnout and then like 50% Democrat turnout for that to happen. Well, that may, that, that kind of tilt may never happen. If you're going to have 100% Republican turnout, you're probably going to have 75% at least Democrat turnout. Yeah, so that's not going to happen. Yeah, she's but not going anywhere. She, she, is a, she is a powerhouse. I'm telling you. I'm telling everyone listening. This is a bartender who was down on her luck living in a closet in Brooklyn. All right? Now, scripted or not, she became a member of Congress against a incumbent who was set to become Speaker of the House after Pelosi left. Whether it's 10,000 votes, 20,000 votes, or 200,000 votes, the chick won. The barmaid won. And she won convincingly. And she has a mouthpiece and a megaphone and is real good at it. Oh, yeah. She's the best at, at self promotion of Republicans, anybody. Republicans would be wise to take this woman seriously. 
Do you think she could win a national election? I don't or know. A senatorial election? A senatorial election, yeah. If she hmm. can win the primary. Yeah. Because uh-huh. of the dynamics in New York. Now, I, I mean, unless things in New York change, but I mean, mm-hmm. they haven't elected a Republican senator since 1990. That's true. I mean, the Republicans in New York, what's left of them, have moved to a different state. Right. And and uh, the Republicans that are left are, you know, nominal pearl-clutching country clubbers. And they might, on a good year, I mean, let me tell you something. The fact that Kathy Hochul, the unelected governor, is has any kind of lead against Lee Zeldin from Long Island uh, shows you how bad off New York is in terms of any chance of a Republican win. I mean, the state's bad off policy-wise, but politically, th- that, that tells you all you need to know. Lee Zeldin should be up on this crazy woman, Hochul, by 15 points. But because of what is New York City and the fact that, you know, there's this large group of non-interested voters that aren't motivated and upstate New York Democrats haven't figured out that that party doesn't represent them anymore. But, yeah, they all get jobs, right, in Albany. Mm. You know, so might as well vote for the, for, for the people uh, that are closest to you even though you disagree with them. I mean, that's New York. This woman, AOC, survives a primary, and it would be very bruising. She would be whatever she wants to be and would have, in my opinion, earned it politically. Nothing else, but certainly politically. And I disagree with her on... Everything. Almost everything. Almost everything, right? Um, I don't, for example, disagree with her when she comes out and says that the Capitol Police invited, you know, people into the Capitol on January 6th. I don't disagree with her there. I'd like to understand more about that if we ever had an honest investigation into what happened on January 6th. I think AOC and I might have some common interests there. Why were people invited into this building when it was under attack? Huh, good question. Let's talk to some people. Yeah. Let's have a real January 6th hearing and not a, a witch hunt on everybody Trump. Yeah, it sounds like AOC wants to have that conversation. I don't think Pelosi would want to, obvious, for you know apparent obvious reasons. And neither would Cocaine Mitch. I don't think he wants to have that conversation either. <laughs> yeah. Cocaine, Mitch. (laughs) So back where we started, the generic ballot on real clear politics has Republicans at plus 0.09 overall for the House of Representatives. But Trafalgar has us at plus five, Rasmussen at plus four. I think we're predicting a much bigger landslide than that i think it's going to be more like plus 10 at the end of the day uh when you find all these submerged trump voters like we talked about a while ago uh people that just aren't willing to put signs up now for fear of prosecution let alone persecution uh 
for fear of, you know, who's on the other end of the phone taking the poll. You know, a lot of these people are saying they're undecided or the, the hidden Trump voters. And uh, a lot of people are claiming independent or hidden Trump voters. And the Republican landslide is going to be a lot more than plus five even. What do you well, the, think overall? Well, the question is, is, is the undecided, it's all of it. Because I think there's a lot of Trump voters, a lot of Republican voters that just aren't answering the damn phone anymore. They're not even getting to the point where they're saying they're undecided. Mm-hmm. Trafalgar talked about that. If I could play the sound on this setup, I would, because I have it saved. Trafalgar talked about this on CNN. He said, look, you know, a lot of these polls aren't even, uh, they're not even capable of picking up the hidden Republican. And this isn't even shy Trump voters. This is just Republicans. Under, they're like, they don't even want to talk to anybody because they see that Republicans are getting thrown in jail. They're getting targeted. You know, they're getting harassed. They don't want to talk to anybody about their political beliefs. We have a way according to Trafalgar, of identifying these people or at least able to project the size of this group. And he was able to do so in 2020 with shy, in 2016, with shy Trump voters as accurately as anybody else. So I, I have no reason to doubt his assessment here. So I think it's I think it could be even bigger. And Trafalgar, Robert uh, Tehaley, said... Uh, this could be even bigger than what we think because some people just aren't even, we can't even figure out how big this is. We have an idea and our polls are a representation of that idea, which shows that everything is a lot more compact than what some of these other narrative polls are saying. So I'll say that I, I think um, we just don't know uh, how big this thing is going to be. Uh, and that and that will be, uh, you know, I, I would say if I'm sitting down here on election night, and I can't remember the second part of your question, but if I'm sitting down here on election night and I'm seeing massive turnout, all right, and I'm going to sit here and I'm going to go, I think the Republicans are going to have one hell of a night. Uh, if I see Carrie Lake, who's going to be the next governor of Arizona, win by four, five, six, Blake Masters is going to be the senator, even if it's only by one, two, or three points. Uh, You know, those kinds of things is what I'm looking at. And I'm basing, you know, what I'm telling you here is my opinion that's based off of other people and multiple sets of people who are professionals in this field, who do polling, uh, polling that I personally invest in that I have looked at over the years that has become the most accurate that I have ever seen. I'm formulating my opinion based off on all these different sources and opinions. And this is what I'm saying. Um, you know, we'll see what happens. I don't know. I don't remember what your second part of your question was, but that that's kind of where I went with it. Yeah, no, I, I think lastly, is there any, I can't think of anything that would change the direction of this election. Uh, I think what I was getting at is, do you think it's going to be a plus 10 or oh. so night for Republicans instead of 
winning right. by like 5% nationally. The average is more like 10% or more. So, so, so I would say, you know, these kinds of generic ballots typically favor Democrats. So you will see like a D eight or nine and a D will have a good year. It only takes a Republican to have an R one or two or three, and it's a good Republican year. And that's just because of the way these polls do their business. Uh, you take a look at a poll and it shows a Democrat with a five point lead, but then you look into the cross tabs of the poll and you see that they surveyed uh, Democrats by eight points. And you're like, wait a minute, that's not what this electorate is going to look like. This right. is not going to be a plus eight electorate. Uh, and a good pollster uh, that's worth their weight in salt will be able to tell by Labor Day or shortly thereafter uh, what this electorate will be able, will, will look like. And then project through his polling samples of how many Republicans they need to sample and what kind of Republican. I mean, you can't sample Republicans in Columbus, Ohio. That's going to be a hell of a lot of different answers than Republicans from, you know, more where we're from, right? Right. Um, it's a different kind of report. So you've it, there's a lot of science to this, and the, you may not be able to reach who you want to reach. So then you gotta you know you gotta weight things. Uh, education's a big part of this. Income's a big part of this. Geography's a big part of this. And I think some of these polls that come out that show these crazy leads of Warnock plus twelve are just cheap, lazy polls. Or corrupt polls. It's one or the other, or a combination of both. You know, there's people getting paid money to come up with a result, or they're just lazy. Uh, and this is what they tell us. Uh, because, you know, Joe Biden plus 17 in Wisconsin never made sense in 2020. Raphael Warnock plus 12 will never make sense and never come true in 2022. So, you know, uh, are you are you incompetent? Are you lazy? Are you on the take? Are you trying to suppress vote? Like, what's your deal? Because this isn't right. So with that said, I think realistically what we're seeing here in some of these polls is, you know, it went from like R plus eight or nine early summer to R plus one, D plus one, D plus two, maybe even if you really tried to now is coming back to when people are starting to get reengaged and take it seriously and Republicans are starting to engage, you're starting to see R2 or 3. If this thing ends up being, in my view, R5 or 6, you will see 250 seats in the House. You will see 54 seats in the Senate, and you will see a major wave at the state level, like one we have rarely seen. And that means Mastriano wins, Dixon wins in Michigan, uh, Evers loses in Minnesota, or excuse me, in Wisconsin. The governor of Minnesota is challenged. A lot of surprises happen across the board. Races are closer. The winner may be a Democrat like in New York, but instead of Hochul winning 58-42, uh, maybe she wins, you know, 52-48. If that happens, then a Democrat's everywhere are losing. You know, the, the, this this loser trust fund spoiled brat fat ass in Illinois wins 
you know, uh, 55, 45 when he should have won 65, 35. You know what I mean? I mean, th- it is what it is. If there's one or two elections, let, let's go back to 2010 and the Tea Party movement. The last time Republicans won really big in the House, uh, the canary in the coal mine was my congressman, Bill Johnson. If he won that district, they said it's a great night for Republicans all across the nation. And he ended up winning, and that ended up being the bellwether or the canary in the coal mine, whatever you want to call it, for the rest of the elections. What elections do you see as like a canary in the coal mine or a bellwether if this guy wins or if this race is close, I think you kind of just said it, but if this guy or girl wins, then you know, the rest of the country is going to fall in line. Yeah. I would look at is Kerry Lake winning by four or five plus in Arizona. Uh, I would look at uh, is Hochul winning by, seven, six, or more or less, you know, she should be winning by 10. I'd look at the governor of Illinois, even though I think the Illinois Republican Party and the Michigan Republican Party are kind of the same. They're Republican parties that are just incompetent. Um, They didn't nominate the best. They're, They're not just poorly organized, but they've also kind of given up and they didn't nominate the best person they can nominate. And there are some people trying to rally the troops around, hey, this is, you know, we got to do this. That's what I mean. Is the wave going to be big enough? You know, there's always going to be these races on the peripheral that just come get across the finish line because people are just sick and tired of the other side. I think Pritzker and Whitmer are two of those people. Uh, Whitmer more than Pritzker. I think Pritzker is going to win. I don't like him, but, you know, he's, you're probably going to win. Uh, Hochul in New York is probably going to win, but how much do they win by? So it isn't going to be, you know, necessarily in the canary in the coal mine, like who wins or loses. It's going to be how much do some of these Democrats win when they should have won by a lot more? I, I think that's kind of where we're at. Uh, you know, you take a look at, uh, you know, some of these house races, uh, you know, if Western Michigan race, that John Gibbs guy comes in and comes in big, that kind of will tell you what kind of night this will be. Um, you know, you take a look at these Iowa races, you know, by the end of the night in November, all of these congressional seats in Iowa could be held by Republicans. And right now it's, I think, evenly split. Uh, there, there are, uh, there are two seats in New Mexico that could go Republican. I mean, that's going to be later on in the evening. But, you know, if you're looking at East Coast, like first indicators, um, you know, you're going to want to look at New Hampshire. What are all of the congressional seats in New The two congressional seats in New Hampshire are doing. What's the turnout like? What is the turnout like in uh, some of these New York congressional seats that are closer uh, not in New York City, but, you know, the one, two, or three districts out from New York City. What are they doing? What's the uh, main two congressional district doing? 
what are some, uh, you know, Gabrielle Spanberger's uh, congressional seat in Virginia that is more than likely going to go Republican, but by how much? There's a seat in northern North Carolina. So, you know, in addition to what I mentioned in Michigan, so those are some early indicators in addition to what might happen in the central mountain and western time zones later on. But if you want some early indicators in terms of the House, that would be it. Um, in terms of the Senate, again, look at um, look at what's going to happen in, in, in New Hampshire. I mean, will that guy uh, in New Hampshire win or will he keep it close? That kind of right-wing guy, uh, colonel, military dude, can't remember his name, um, you know, how are, how is that, you know, obviously, you know, Pennsylvania is, they're going to screw with that. So if it's close and it likely will be close, you're not going to get a good indicator. But here's, here's one thing I will say in some of these States that have, uh, you know, day of election and early election voting, don't be discouraged if the Republican, you know, early on with the first reported numbers is down by eight, nine, 10 points, because if the MAGA vote shows up, they're going to show up heavy on election day, and it's going to take some time to process those votes. So what could be big leads by Democrats, this blue mirage, as a lot of people called it, could very well end up being a Republican victory by the end of the night. Herschel Walker in Georgia, you know, those early returns. And when you look at Georgia, you know, you look at how Herschel Walker is doing around Atlanta and in the suburbs where, you know, he's going to lose Atlanta, <clears throat> but is he, is he, is he, is he keeping it close in the suburbs? And then as those uh, Southeastern and Northwestern votes come in, are they really, really heavy and strong for him? So those are some of the, the micro things that I would look at in addition to how's J.D. Vance doing in Ohio? Because <laughs> he's going to win. If J.D. Vance is winning at 3%, I think, you know, that's going to be a tough night or not as good of a night for Republicans. But if, if all of a sudden it looks like this guy's lead's going to be 8, 9, 10, 11 points even, you know, you know how this thing's going to go nationwide. It's just going to be in varying degrees uh, from state to state. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, we've got to make sure our people are out voting. And I don't know what the get out the vote strategy is right now with the Republican Party. Uh, I wish they had a way we, and maybe you know this, a way we could do phone banking or calling or something for districts that are not our own. Oh, you can. You can. I did it in, you know, for all transparency, in uh, 2016, I did it for Marco Rubio. I was making calls for Marco Rubio in South Carolina uh, for from my house here, you know, uh, I, I know I was listening to Steve Bannon war room, uh, one of his shows last week and Doug Mastriano was on. And he said, if you don't live in Pennsylvania or you live really far away, we can get you hooked up to make phone calls from your house. And frankly, I'm, 
kind of done going door to door. I don't like doing that anymore. I've done it enough. I don't know how effective it ever was. If you're not the candidate, if you're the candidate, it's really effective. But if you're not the candidate and you're just some schlup volunteer, I don't know how effective it is to either drop the lit in the door and then leave, knock on the door, no one shows up and drop the lit and then leave, or even knock on the door and someone shows up and you tell them who you are. I mean, that would be the most effective, but how effective is it? If you're the candidate, it's effective. But phone calling, you know, it's quantity or, uh, yeah, it's quantity over quality. You're going to, you're going to make a number of quality contacts, but it's going to take a lot of calls. And so they have the dialers, they have the, you know, the apps and the technology to do it. Frankly, I might do it, you know, for Mastriano in Pennsylvania. I may sit here and just make calls as long as an end of the day as I can. Cause I believe he needs to win in Pennsylvania. I think it's in terms of the governor's races that are, you know, within reach, you know, I think that's the one that we got to win uh, heading into 2024. So yeah, you can make the, you know, you, but you, but I just, I just don't know like what, you know, do you have to know somebody in the campaign uh, to be able to do that? Do you have to have an in, you know, how, how willy nilly are these people are to just give you, you know, the, the passcodes to make these calls. Cause you have to have access to the database. I mean, I don't know, but you certainly can, you, you, you know, if you live five hours away, it might be tough to drive into a state to go door to door or even attend a rally, but you certainly could sit in your basement and, you know, have a couple glasses of wine or some Jameson Irish whiskey and within reason without sounding like a moron, make some calls to people. Yeah. I, I think I would like to do that and I'd like to get, you know, a group of people together to call, you know, Georgia and, you know, get people out for Herschel, get people out for, this Mastriano and Oz and, and all these people, uh, you know, the ones on the southwest or the south border of Texas, uh, all those things, you know, get as many Republicans out as you can. I've been telling people vote like hell, you know, take two or three friends with you, you know, make a couple phone calls to close friends that, you know, are Republicans but maybe they're lazy or they're like, well, we're going to win anyways, or, you know, run the numbers up as much as you can, you know, and get as many people out as you can. So uh, I think it's definitely something we need to research and find how we can make phone calls from home and share that information. So... Well, I'm on the Herschel Walker website, teamherschel.com, and under the Connect site, I mean, of course, you know, they're really pimping out a donation. Yeah. But but under the Connect site, you can list your name, first and last, email, and how would you like to help? And it gives you a list of uh, join a coalition, publicly endorse a campaign, yard sign, making phone calls. Is is one so I'm going to do it right now. Frankly, I'm just going to put my stuff in here. I'm making phone calls, so I'm gonna I'm gonna hit it. I'm gonna say I'm not a robot, 
and I'm going to submit it, and we'll see what happens. It says I've joined. It's right there. It says you joined Team Herschel. Ring the bell. Okay, so I rung it. Um, you know, I'm ha- if the dude sends me a uh, phone call app and kit. I'll sit here at Broadcast Park and make calls for this guy as, as long as as much as I have to because I think he needs to win. I ditto that. So, all right, well, let's. I'll look at some other candidates' websites and see if they have similar information and then uh, follow up with the audience in a week or two or well, less than that, a day or two, and see if we can't get some grassroots out here for these people that need to win. And we got to run the numbers up to the point where they can't do something screwy at the end and change the election. So I think two and a half hours is good. So any last words? No, I I think, uh, you know, here we are a month away from the election or just inside of a month. I think we need to do this show again and you know, maybe the last weekend heading into the election to kind of see where we're at and how things have changed because they will change. Uh, as Rush Limbaugh used to say, you know, the issues that will decide this election have not occurred yet. They have not completely played out. And I believe that. I, I believe uh, it looks really good for Republicans, but you just never know how good it'll be. You have to run like you're 10 points down. You can't be complacent. Uh, people that are listening to this broadcast are all over the country, frankly, all over the world. Uh, it doesn't matter where you're at. You need to get out and you need to vote. If you you know, have some concerns about the future of this country and where things are going, um, try to convince, you know, set the other 155 million people voted in a record election two years ago. And that still means about 70 million people who are registered to vote didn't vote. Just imagine if a large percentage of those, or even a small percentage of that large number decided that they were going to become politically active. And a small percentage of that decided in this evenly divided electorate we're in to vote one way or another it would be a decisive victory. We have to, in this country, look beyond. The political parties in this country have to look beyond the traditional sandboxes that they operate in. The the future of this country will not be decided by the people who are currently engaged. The, The course of not only this country, but any country, any democracy, has never been decided by the sandbox that shows up. It's always been by the added contributions of people participating when it was critical and needed to correct course. We are in a course correction. We've been in, frankly, a course correction since 2012. I said, if Obama wins in 2012, we may never come back from this. Well, 2016 happened, and we made a lot of progress. This is an opportunity now to get back on schedule right here. We're not going to take the presidency. That's Joe Biden. 
but we can take our states back and we can take two thirds of the federal government back with people who will stand up and do what's right. And that's how this democracy, this republic was designed to work, to prevent radical swings one way or another from each party to another and the ability to do course correction without upending the entire democratic system. So whether or not you're a Republican or a Democrat, however it has been over the years, you have opportunities to change things when they're not working. And right now they are not working. They are not working. And we need all of us, millions of people who are engaged and those who are currently not engaged who will ultimately make this decision, average ordinary Americans, to take your power, which is the vote, and walk in unencumbered to the voting box and make an educated decision. That's what we need this year. All right, man. Well, everybody have a good night. God bless. Pray for each other. We'll see you next time. Thanks, Doc, for chiming in, and we'll check back in in a week or two, maybe a few days before the election, all right? God bless. Bye.